Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mm, 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 mm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. like a 70s folk prog album that I really like. Uh, I actually grew up listening to prog. So. Did you grow up listening to Nidralog? Uh, that name sounds exactly. familiar. Is it really? Shit. I mean, I grew up listening to like Gentle Giant and shit. You know, like it's not ah, that baby much shit. Okay, well, fuck you, Newborn. Bud. Fuck you, infant. Bud. First you concert have, was that, Rush. That don't take doesn't even have fucking fingernails yet. Gentle That's Giant so young. It's such a baby. A more obscure prog band. Should we uh, talk oh, about this Did you also movie? listen to King Crimson? Like did you also Genesis, listen to Pink Floyd? Okay, they're Captain Beefheart. <laughs> Captain Beefheart isn't prog, yeah, but I yes, know. I did Captain listen Beefheart. to Captain Beefheart. Yeah, I know you did. I was waiting for you to show off about it. Thank you very much. You brought it up. No, wait a second. We're hashing this out further. No, you go. Thank you very much for listening to Trilove, the literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies that we saw at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. My name is Jason. You can find us uh, on Twitter at Trilove Podcast. You can find them on Twitter at Trilon Cinema. I'm going to say again that my name is Jason. Back in the saddle uh, after Japan, and it's been a long time. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. You went to Japan, just so people listening to this That's don't not know your name you or your are at. aware. You, you, you came back from a journey to Japan. Uh, my name is Aaron. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at uh, RBPlease. And I'm Harry. You can find me at Shiitake Harry. Jason, tell us about Japan. Uh, it's it's great. Uh, today's movie is going to be talking. <laughs> no, it was great. Um, the only thing that I got to do that was like, well, I got to do a few movie related things to try to keep movie focused since this is a movie podcast. Um, went to uh, I think it's the Toho Theater where the big uh, Godzilla is who spews <sighs> steam. Always um, wanted to the see Godzilla it. store in uh, Shibuya. Uh, no, is that it? Akihabara? I forget. Um, and uh, I visited Toshiro Mifune's grave, which was one of the like most impactful things I did there. It's very upsetting, but because before you went to Japan, you know, it'd be a, a dead heat about who is cooler, me or you. Uh, and now you clearly have I closed that distance? Oh, wait, wait. I, I, I am not pacing you. Oh, I feel like oh, I could make him. a good argument at least. And now, so uh, I was ahead of you, and I've just increased you also the gap. Sure, had the opportunity to wash Toshiro Mifune's grave. Right? Yeah, it's um. That was uh, not something you wanted to do. It was not or, something that I'd planned to yeah. do, but I had looked up. I didn't want to make it a complete ass right. myself. I didn't know what the place was going to be like. Uh, it was like a bu- an hour bus ride outside of Tokyo, just west in a city called Kawasaki. And I wasn't sure exactly how to behave in a Japanese cemetery. This is all preamble. I'll put a timestamp about um, where you can go to ta- hear what we're talking about. But uh, I, I did that for another episode. You don't have to. It's, it's good. Um, this is great, man. Yeah. yeah. Just keep and, uh, and I got there and basically the Google told me that it was appropriate to um, just, you know, be quiet, be respectful, don't, like, dance around, don't do anything that, that you wouldn't do in, like, uh, an American... Yeah. In an in American graveyard. Yeah, yeah in, a, in a Western uh, graveyard. And... Um, but then there was, like, another process, another ritual by which uh, you can sort of pay your respects to, to uh, the deceased by just keeping their grave uh, up. And um, I'm not exactly sure about all the ritual symbolism of it, but of washing the grave by pouring a little bit of water. And they have... Um, spigots and faucets around the 
around the cemetery at various paths, and they have whole racks of wooden buckets and ladles and um, and scrub brushes that are like worn be- almost beyond use. It's the most charming thing. Uh, and I wa- and I sort of I read about this. I knew that it was a thing, but I wasn't planning on doing it. But then when I got there. I, um, like I started like making for the buckets. There was a woman who was uh, an older woman who was there. Um, she didn't have anything in her hands or anything. So she wasn't busy with anything. I think she was just visiting another grave and I started making for the buckets and I like pointed at the grave site that I was planning on like visiting and paying respects to. And I pointed to the buckets and I said like, hi. And she said, hi. And like, uh, didn't pick anything up for me. She just sort of like guided and led me along. Uh, sort of like condoning, I guess, explicitly uh, what I was doing and um, and made sure that I like did the pour correctly over the top of the headstone rather than at the foot and like picking up some of the flowers that had wilted. It was a pretty well-tended grave altogether. There was like an open can of um, uh, uh, the, there was an open, open bottle of sake. There was, um, there were some flowers. Yeah, that he probably appreciated on. that. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> the, my man, it's actually uh, the, um, the family gravesite, I guess the whole family is interred there. Um, and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was really, really not, I like, you know, bowed as deeply as I, as my spine would let me that day, uh, to thank her for having shown me around and uh, sort of condoning what I, cause I looked like the most foreigner foreigner that I could have. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was, it was a dream. Paid his respects to the king. To the goat, dude. Yeah. King of the Triline like 2019. It's, it's like up on top of a hill that you have to like walk 15 minutes up a bunch of stairs to get to. It was a, kind of a trek. So I really appreciated the chance to like make the most of the moment. Um, and that was the movie highlight of my trip to Japan. Good highlights, uh, Jason. We are not talking about Japan for this episode. We are, not no, we are actually Japan. just a hop, skip, and away geographically. <laughs> to Hong Kong. Yeah, That's see how correct. I tied that together? Very that good. Very good. Uh, we what movie are, are we talking about today, Aaron? Uh, we are discussing uh, The Killer. Uh, John Woo's The Killer. It is a 1989 film. I have blessed both of you. I have done something very nice. I've written a description that is very short. I wait, think wait, it's wait, very wait, 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 An actual one or an Aaron one? Uh, no, that's what I'm saying. I think I could get through this in maybe 20 seconds. He's gained self-awareness. I, well, well, I say that. This is inevitable. Right. I'm, I'm going to get through this. I think prepare the Rosman summary. You. If I am, if I'm on, don't, you don't need it. If I'll I make am an undisturbed. awful, awful noise. As soon as we reach five seconds. I, Even more don't. awful than I can get through this. I can get through this in... That amount of time if I'm undisturbed. All right. Okay, tell me when. John Woo's The Killer, 1989 action thriller film. Uh, Chow Yun-Fat plays uh, Ah Zhong, who is a contract killer hired by the Hong Kong triad, uh, who uh, unfortunately blinds a woman uh, named Jenny, uh, played by Sally Ye, uh, during an assassination attempt at a nightclub. Ah! What? Is that five seconds? I fucking hate you. Okay, we're already at 20. All right, fuck it, man. Um, blinds her uh, uh, during kind of a shootout at a nightclub. He shoots a gun too close to her eyes, and it, it, it blinds her. Um, and he's wrecked by guilt from his actions. Uh, he begins to take care of her uh, in, in kind of learning who she is and in developing this relationship with her without her knowing uh, that uh, without her knowing that he was responsible for her disability. Um, and then at the same time, uh, brash policeman uh, Li Ying, uh, attempts to track Ajong down, uh, but soon becomes interested in his apparent sense of empathy and humanity for those who uh, are and were caught in the crossfire of his actions. Um, that's not get... a bad description. That's that was not, not bad. Did you get to the part where he partners with a cop? 
No, no. Okay. I just so that's that's a pretty big that was element sort of, of an the plot. Act one setup. That was like yeah. a yeah. It was a general. Well, I get In complaints. They, I get told I do the whole movie. Thank so you. I didn't do the whole Thank movie. you. No, that was that was yeah. uh, that a was fine a, summary. That was the setup. It was a fine fine summary. It's called good summarizing. It's called good summarizing. Called yes. Good summarizing. Um, do we want to? I'll I'll start this movie off. This movie was delightful to see at the trial. Yeah, it fucking rules, huh? It really it's was. Great. <laughs> it that was. Man, that was one of the cooler element, like showings of the trial line I've ever seen, both the movie and like the experience. We'll touch a little more later on the experience, um, but just suffice to say, it was like it was nice to get an early screening. Thank you very much, uh, John Moret of yeah, the trial line. We're going to talk about that a little bit more, like Jason said in another bonus episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but suffice to say, um, we got to do a, a advanced screening uh, because we're cool podcast people no uh, holy shit yeah it's know, terrible we, we pester uh, people we put, yeah, yeah because we were so annoying for so long that they John had to like, deal oh, with Jesus, us fine uh, yeah. and so he gave us a tour and uh and all that and it was really great um and then we got to watch this movie um which it's kind of funny i i kept thinking about like what a perfect night overall that was because like not only did we get to do that cool tour but also just like I think John Woo's the killer of all of the movies across like time and history could not be more of a sensibility bullseye for the four of us, like <laughs> respectively. Just like I kept thinking about like, huh, like, you know, uh, longtime listeners will know that like as like big Jackie Chan fans and like big fans of like Hong Kong cinema and big fans of like bombastic action movies, uh, particularly from like the 80s, it was like I- exactly the right I was like losing my mind. It was mind. a perfect tri- like the triangulation most movie I've ever seen. Maybe, it was a, yeah, it was a slam dunk. I think it, both in like sensibility and execution. This is a very like, it's a very influential movie, both on action cinema and a whole lot of like Western drama. I think as far as like buddy cop, oh yeah, yeah. genre, um, like opposites attract, Romeo Juliet style. Like their position cannot be. Uh, or is at odds with their like desire to be friends and to like coexist as as people. Um, I'm talking, of course, about the main character and the cop that he's set against, uh, who he ends up working with to to defeat the criminal syndicate that's coming after him. Um, what uh, what stands out about this movie to you, Aaron? Just top level. We're trying not to go way too deep, but what uh, what are the moments you remember from this movie? The moments that I remember, um, I you know. I had seen a few John Woo films. Um, I think this movie, more than maybe all of them, has just the most over-the-top action. Uh, not in a way that is bad. I, I think there's maybe moments where maybe it goes on too long, maybe in the is... final climax. But for the most part, um, this movie is just like a great time. Um, yeah. It's really enjoyable to watch. Uh, I think it is It is not necessarily doing anything new. I think it's relying on kind of older tropes about uh, a criminal and uh, a police officer and how they're, um, you know, similar and how different they are, right? Like the, the, the main thing of those two characters is not that they are the same. It is that they are polar opposites. They are mirror images. And in that manner, they are exactly the same, right? Um, one is a killer who is a weirdly empathetic uh, and sympathetic to uh, his victims, and I guess it's kind of innocent people who are uh, kind of embroiled in his, you know, operations. The other is a police officer who, at the beginning of the movie, at least, does not give a shit about who gets caught in the middle of what he is doing, um, and they kind of come together. And... Well, and they have these these, and and again, we're working in really well established, really well trod um, uh, tropes and um, archetypes, but they they have a deeper sort of transcend or uh, 
code and sense of honor as the movie portrays it that transcends their stations and is sort of speaks to their souls or mm-hmm. the core of who they are. And so like they are polar opposites in terms of their stations and their positions uh, and, and the roles that they occupy in the world. But in their hearts and in their souls, they are sort of soulmates. They're, they're um, yeah. compatible and, yeah. in the sort of deeper sense. You could see, especially because the tropes were already laid, you could see in a lot of other movies um that sort of dichotomy that you're just like me we're not that so different right being like uh setting them at odds with each other said like one of them is the villain one of them is the sort of like anti-hero and one of them is the um is the hero tracking him down in this movie it's not it's like you're just like me so let's let's be friends why can't we be like why can't we why can't we be friends why can't we be friends um and like it really it highlights through that i think it highlights how a lot of uh, modern storytelling, specifically action cinema, flattens that sort of spectrum. Ooh, of that's an your, interesting point. Like, like you said, uh, Aaron, it's like they're polar opposites, but they're mirror images, right? It's not like one is, um, you know, a completely evil person and one is a morally perfect person. Uh, they're just like they're both operating within the confines of their stations, uh-huh. right? Uh, one is a killer contracted to kill. He has his own moral code. One is a cop. Uh, paid to uphold a set of rules uh, and he has his own moral code about that. And I think what the movie and the way that the characters interact reveals is that like a lot of modern fiction that poses those types of two types of characters against each other flattens that spectrum to, um, to complete antagonism, right? Rather than mm-hmm. trying to make them complementary, trying to rather than trying to make them like, uh, like two sides of a coin, making them two like disparate things yeah. right am i am you, i making you get the you get the impression that well you don't get the impression i think it's just totally factual that the the thing that binds them together is not that their codes work together it's the fact that they have a code at all and they are people who follow that code right and that you can see like the 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 honor and respect comes from the fact that this person is principal not really it doesn't really depend on what the principles are, right? It's like, oh, that man really follows a certain code that is the exact opposite of what I do. But I, it's the I am, ad, it's the adherence to a code and yes. the sort of warrior spirit that that Im, Im, entails. The adherence to that, a code is the that makes code. them uh, attracted to one another. That, yes, that makes them feel like they have this connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm glad that you brought up that flattening effect, Jason, because this movie does something that I really like that um, better than a lot of movies that sort of lesser movies do which is that this is something that that arguably all action movies do um particularly all action movies of a certain kind um which is that that they use well uh worn plot beats and character archetypes as a jumping off point to communicate or to almost a narrative shortcut toward the end of what they actually want to accomplish, which is stylized action Mm -hmm. and um, sort of bombastic uh, set pieces, which, you know, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that, right? Like that's what action movies are. Uh, This movie is doing that and something else, I think, which is that like it's, it's using these shorthands as a means not to sort of flatten or hand wave away the the melodrama inherent, but to make it as indulgent and sort of as over the top <laughs> and exulting in it as much as they are exulting in the action. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, this isn't just an action. Like, it's not just, um, this is a bad example because John Wick also does what the killer kind of does, but um, this is not a movie that is just sort of like um, indulging in uh, action for action's sake and sort of... Um, 
making a pass at having a plot. It's a, it's a movie that, that delights and um, overindulges in the melodrama of the cop and the killer as much as it indulges yeah. in like the squibs and the shooting. And like, yeah. I love that. It's like, it's not picking and choosing what it wants to be a uh, ridiculous, uh, sentimental romantic movie about it's doing all of it. It's like mm-hmm. the most maximalist movie. Uh, it, go ahead. it does the great action movie thing where the, the, the action and the drama starts to blend together and into these delightful little scenes where, you know, uh, uh, for example, um, there's a scene where Ah Jong and, uh, Lee Ying, who I didn't mention actually in my summary, I should have mentioned that it's played by Danny Lee. Um, they kind of meet up at, uh, Ah Jong's apartment that he lives in uh, oh my with Jenny. God. And so it, it's not an action scene because they, they're kind of sticking each other up, right? Like they have a gun to each other's neck. Uh, at the same time, uh, Jenny, and then kind of comically walks into the scene. She's blind. She cannot notice what is happening. Uh, and so the humor there is like, how do we like keep these guns at each other's throat while we're like, oh yeah, we're, we'll just have a, a cup of tea. This is my friend from college. Oh, that oh, was you, that you, was such a police story scene. Totally. Right? It, it was like, it was so obviously to me just like one of the like dozen or so set pieces that John Woo was like, okay, like this is the, the first thing I thought of was this scene uh-huh. where there's a blind woman and these two guys are trying not to give each other are not to give themselves away, but they're they're also like locked in this battle of wits and this mortal struggle. Uh, and then like the rest of the movie opens up to support that uh, like a framework. Mm-hmm. Um, my the thing that I love about this movie is that every scene feels like that, right? Like this is like a fucking like fourteen year olds like Pinterest dream board of a movie <laughs> where it's like every single movie is like something that I would have like like written down in like my diary or something, right? Yeah. Where it's like okay, now in this scene the killer is like. He's he's up in the he's up in the mountains overlooking Hong Kong and it, and like you can see the blue horizon and like the sun is just <laughs> cresting over the and he he looks sad and like they're playing like this this uh, piano lounge music behind him and he's thinking about his lost love and it's like every single scene is like that um, and the, the cadence of this movie is so good too and so like so cowboy bebop or so like uh, um, well so, so like everything that it inspired right which is that like you get like like these these incredibly indulgent wistful sorrowful uh soulful scenes of characters who are broken by life's circumstances and and by their their warrior code and uh don't know desperate and don't know where to turn and then immediately punctuated by these these like cathartic and uh equally indulgent like battle scenes where like six 600 of, yeah. people wearing white get shot <laughs> and uh chow yun fat unloads like six dozen pistols at once somehow mm-hmm. and is flying 30 feet through the air <laughs> like max Payne. yeah there's no internal consistency about ammunition or oh, guns yeah. no or not, and it's it's great which I, is hilarious because they, they bring it up they're like oh you always save your last bullet it's like does he because he just <laughs> shot he that thing 300 yeah. times <laughs> it, it is a uh, the john wick comparisons are interesting because the uh the, the scene earlier in the apartment we talked about that is uh, uh, that's John Wick 2 with Common I was right? going to say the scene yeah. on the subway uh, the director oh, I just changed nice. it up but the, yeah, the director of John Wick 2 absolutely was that, that Stahelski? Scene. no that was uh, uh, that was Stahelski yeah John Wick 2 yes um, 
Yeah, and it's 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 great. Right? Like it doesn't bother about the internal consistency of a lot of these things. And I, frankly, some of the editing near the end of the movie is a little wishy washy here well, and there. Well, it's it's very much a product of its time. Like uh, some of the one of the things I read on Wikipedia, and I try to read the Wikipedia at least for every movie that we do. But big of you, yeah, right. Um, I've grown, <laughs> changed in 2020. Uh, but the one of the things that I read was that like uh, John Woo was scripting this movie while it was being shot. Like hell yeah, as it was going. So the sort of like the fact that it all kind of turns into this crazy tendrils of the plot that just all uh, culminate back where the movie literally started at the church sort of makes sense. Like it does feel like a crazy quick. He called cool, it a, like, like a romantic tone poem, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like you, he went back to his trailer and he either had one of those nights where he wanted to watch kung fu movies and play with his action figures, <laughs> or he had one of those nights where he wanted to put sad jazz on and drink something <laughs> and stare wistfully out the window. Because those are the two modes. Those and, are like, the two modes. He's right. <laughs> what <TBH>. do you? <laughs> he's right. No apostrophe. What do you think uh, that that like that that uncompromising between the high action and incredible melodrama. What do you think that that does for the overall tone of the movie? Does it like, does it serve anything in particular uh, or is it just like really neat to see it switching back and forth? So a reviewer on Wikipedia, I was also reading the Wikipedia. Wow, I can't remember the, yeah, I, I can't remember the, uh, the reviewer's name. Sorry. But, but he said something that we've been saying, which is that like, this doesn't actually add a whole lot um, of plot in the sort of um, conventional sense. Um, but I would, but the way that, uh, like what makes this movie exceptional is the, the extra style and, and the, Mm -hmm. the commitment. And I would say that, that like, that's almost understating it because like it, it doesn't, it's not just about the, what it adds, it like transforms, right? Almost categorically, almost to the point where this movie enriches my experience with other archetypal cop dramas in a way, because I, I would be able to find touch points from this movie and other movies. Like I actually, despite the, the indulgence and despite how silly this movie is and sort of delights in being, um, I was like, I was emotionally invested in each of these characters oh, and yeah. in their journeys. And it didn't do that by compromising. It did just the opposite, right? Like, it didn't do that by being a, being a serious movie sometimes. It did it by being so wholly committed to the universe that it was portraying that I was able to sort of pick up the beat, so to speak. And I, I was like, I was in genre mm-hmm. uh, yeah. for the whole thing. Um, and I think that's how it sort of elevates, right? It, like... It, it brings you into this sort of argument for a, a particular approach to melodrama that is very convincing, which is that, like, if if we can take this much joy in what we're doing, mm. you, too, will feel this joy. Yeah. The, and it's like, I did. You're I, sort of able to wrap your, like, conceptions of the genre around what the movie starts yeah. as. And it's slowly, like, rather than dashing those or tearing those away, it sort of just, like, builds onto it and makes, like, stretches that credulity a little bit. Until you've got like something completely different from almost any other action movie I've ever seen. I don't think that anything that wasn't explicitly comedic varied like vacillated this much between yeah. uh, comedy and drama and, uh, and, and like action. This, what's funny too is that it, this is a funny movie, but it's not telling jokes. Like this is not no. a joking movie. It's not. It's not self conscious. And and we come back to this all the time. But like this is the furthest thing from a Marvel movie, right? Like this is the furthest thing from They Fly Now <laughs> and like <laughs> yeah. uh, Rise of the Skywalker, where like every one of those characters has to be like sort of like winking at the camera right. in order to sell that what they're doing is. Uh, 
is like can be appealing to you. Mm-hmm. Instead, it goes completely the other way. This is like this is a level of earnestness that is like unattainable in contemporary movies. I feel yeah. like. Yeah, I don't know. I was gonna in regard to the the I don't know melodrama. I, I thought it was kind of interesting because I I think that a toned down version of this movie does work. I mean, I mm. I thought a lot about like uh, Michael Mann's Heat. Uh, which I think is is it's got to have taken stuff from this, right? Oh yeah, um, almost That's certainly. That's a great comparison, actually. Um, good companion film. You'll be in the theater yeah. for quite a while, but uh, uh, that would yeah, be how good. long is it? We have like a whole. He is like two and a half hours. I mm. think we could do like a whole syllabus ar- around this movie, right? Because you brought up Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, which is a perfect mm-hmm. uh, companion. Uh, Point Break is another like obvious oh, nice. companion uh, for this Point movie. Point Break is one absolutely. Yeah. Uh, also, Point Break completely rules. Uh, if you haven't yeah, watched good. it, uh, watch it. And like, I think that there's a weird contemporary or uh, at contemporaneously, it wasn't very well reviewed. I think it's been reassessed now successfully. Mm-hmm. Uh, Priscilla Page wrote a really good thing on particularly Point Break. like uh, through a lens of queer cinema, right? Yes, which we should talk about in regards to this movie. Yeah. Do we want to pivot there or? Are you good to pivot? I was going to say John pivot Woo's face-off also is another. John Woo's face-off? Face-off. That's was face-off like, playing at the Trilon, by the way. Was this the uh, Travolta face-off? Yes, Travolta really? Cage face-off. That was off. a John Woo movie? That is yeah, a John Woo movie. Mission right. Impossible 2? John Woo. Really? Yeah. I came dangerously uh, close. Then I came dangerously close to watching face-off. There was one night that my mom was watching face-off. I wasn't watching it with her when I was a kid and there was a bat in our house and it scared the shit out of everybody because it came swooping through the room as soon as That's the, scary, dude. as soon as the faces Bruce were Wayne off. was onto something um uh yeah this was my first I mean complete <laughs> off topic but this was my first John Woo movie and I am over the moon yeah I want I, I mean we're we're quoting we're fucking hashtag gamers right and like this <laughs> yeah. is john woo is essentially the godfather of modern <laughs> like video gaming yeah uh yeah so um, let's talk about oh i i was coiled like a snake ready to spring when uh aaron pivoted successfully but i'm coming back to it now uh this movie is is a um representation of unbridled earnestness which uh-huh. brings me to yakuza <laughs> The Yakuza series, <laughs> uh, it, particularly Yakuza ah, Zero. We when, yeah, when we when we finished watching this movie, uh, Aaron leaned over to me and was like, "Congratulations on the opportunity to discuss Yakuza Zero on our <laughs> podcast." Um, I, this movie takes a plot, or Yakuza Zero takes a plot point directly from the killer. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a Makoto Makamura uh, is a woman who's losing her eyesight as the result of trauma in that game. Um, it's really interesting that they took that from the killer because. Um, the killer and I think maybe John Woo movies and the Yakuza games are of a piece, um, if not stylistically entirely, then um, in terms of sensibility. In Do you that, know that it was intentionally taken from? This? I don't, but it had. To be. It, it, I mean, it had. I uh, yeah. was watching. And I was like, oh yeah, this is. Yeah, it's it's 100% like took one hundred percent from this, um, with the exception that like Majima didn't blind Makoto. But, I mean, but it's the, the same. general yeah. yes character, um, the same yeah, and. Uh, just in terms of like one of my favorite things, which is which is like we had been talking about a, a total commitment to sincerity, um, and and it, to be unafraid of being uh, yourself or like the the most extra ridiculous version of yourself, mm-hmm. and uh, celebrating that. Um, this is such a celebration of like wild action movies, and not just wild action movies in terms of their wildness, but also in terms of their their sort of like sad boy soul Mm -hmm. uh or like and and the the silliness inherent therein but like it's it's not interested in 
critiquing that necessarily, except that there's a sort of critique inherent in the exaltation of it, which is kind of interesting. But uh, we'll get to that, right? Because like, it doesn't turn out so good for any of these characters in this movie. Spoilers. Um, but that's that's all I wanted to say about that, is that like, if you're interested in, in earnestness as form and message, um, the Akaza games are great for that. Uh, there's... That's something that I think a lot of like queer um, cinema can can really give you um, and do. And camp, I guess, in general is mm-hmm. is a manifestation of earnestness. Um, this movie is a great queer movie, it in is. my opinion. I I know that like everything you've said about the Yakuza series and how it compares to the ground laid in this movie makes absolute sense. But the moment that I realized it was a Yakuza movie is when he's fighting off some attackers. Gen- some of Jenny's yeah. attackers and he picks up a barrel and just Fuck throws yeah, it on the guy who's already on the ground. And that's when I'm like, that's Yakuza. Yeah. That's Yakuza yeah. me. We should point out, of course, that uh, Yakuza is, is obviously a Japanese game and this is a Hong Kong cinema yeah. movie. So like, I, we're not conflating the two right, nationality wise. Like, Japan has a totally different artistic sensibility and history. Uh, that's not what I'm trying to say. I'm but just saying that, but it's like how human evolution there are occurred. Similarities between in terms of violent camp, there's like they're yes. great and obviously of a piece. Right. It's how like everybody found out how to farm it, like in the Fertile Crescent all around the world. Everybody figures out at some point that Yakuza is just that the way being to like make movies big and games. gay friendship movies <laughs> that are also super violent are the best shit in the world. <laughs> it's just a worldwide occurrence. It's inexplicable. Um, but we should talk about how the fucking gay this movie yes. is. Like it's, it's strongly homoerotic to the point where uh, when – I believe when like there was a, a remake planned, an American remake planned, yeah, starring Lupita Nyong'o. Now that's the more recent one. Oh, there okay. was like a nearly contemporaneous one, I like think in the early nineties. Who was going to direct it himself? Right? I don't that's remember. That's the new one again. Yeah. Oh, that's the new yeah. one. Yeah, that okay. would be pretty cool. Yeah, John, uh, was supposed to direct a, a remake of The Killer, starring Lupita Nyong'o. We'll like, see if that actually happens. And and who else? I don't know who else. Nobody, is, nobody announced, but okay, it was supposed sure. to start filming last January. I don't know if it ever did. Um, but the one that I'm talking about was like in the early nineties. American and it was going to be two men again and literally studio execs were like people might think this is gay we need to tone we need to make one of them a woman and they literally like in the scripting and the planning made one of the characters like one of the main characters a woman to the point where like it scared Americans how gay this movie really is it's the funniest fucking thing um the genesis of that relationship only starts like they start apart right Mm -hmm. they like it's um it's I Ah Jong, uh, doing what he does as a killer and protecting Jenny after having harmed her, right? Uh, unintentionally, and uh, Danny Lee, no, Inspector Lee Ying, um, uh, tracking him down and following in his footsteps. Very Hannibal, like yeah. as you said, like <laughs> to, to where he's like mirroring exact shots and exact like kills that he's yeah. that he that that Ah Jong did. You know, you know, if there's two dudes who are in love with, with each other, I'm gonna be talking about Hannibal. <laughs> Please. <laughs> yeah, it's the best. You everybody should watch Hannibal, right? I, but I anyway. Love Hannibal. Uh, um but like uh what I liked about the way that it brings those characters together is that it does so sort of slowly and not without friction. Like there are several clashings that the two characters have where they like they are fulfilling their roles um as cop and robber, sort of as yeah. bad guy and good guy, it's almost episodic, right? It, it kind yeah. of it weirdly reminded me of Mobile Suit Gundam uh, with Char and uh, um, 
Amaro that in the original Mobile Suit Gundam there's also like a big gay friendship thing hey. where like these are two people on the opposite side of war but like they're the only two like good Gundam pilots in their like sector or whatever and so they, they just clash every single episode and it's always just like a glancing or like a, a skirmish and they both get away and hey. afterwards they're both like that guy's pretty fucking cool uh, and it, it was like it was like that right where there were there were like six or or four or five encounters between these two men that are always like skirmish like where they mm-hmm. both get away like uh ajong like just barely like skirts justice once more and, by putting on a mustache yeah. and like r- running away on a speedboat on like a skiff it's it's the funniest thing um but what that does for me uh, in the movie is like I didn't find myself thinking like, oh, man, he's going to evade him one last time. And that's going to be the tension. The tension is like, why don't you just fucking kiss? Right. Like, and I know that's like the Mimi Tumblr way to say it. But like legitimately, there's like romantic tension built into those scenes where they're clashing like directly. And there's a scene on a a riverbank when they're talking about their respective philosophies and their similarities where one of them gets up and then it cuts away. And I audibly groaned in the theater because I was like, kiss. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, uh, it's great. And, and like, interestingly, I think that, that like, there's there's something revealing. I, John Woo, for what it's worth, the author is dead. This means nothing. But he said that the, the homoerotic tension in, in his movies is unintentional, uh, which is ridiculous, <laughs> uh, Mr. Woo. Um, <laughs> He's saying that to but, uh, avoid suppression by the Chinese government. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but um, it's it's interesting that, that this movie, it lays bare that it's, it's plot beats. Uh, it, but the the choices it makes as to what to focus on sort of reveal what the movie wants to fo- like wants you to be interested in, right? Yeah. Like this is it's a movie. Sorry, in that it is not really interested in Jenny at all. Yeah, maybe. Or, or like <laughs> like even necessarily yes, right? Like there's such an yeah. outsized and like maybe that sucks, right? Uh, but but there's such an outsized focus on the the like deep friendship between men in this movie. Um, and not only we should point out between Ajong and uh, Li Ying, but also between their two partners, uh-huh. they sort of have parallel, again, mirror image partners. Um, Ajong has uh, Feng Se, uh, right? Yeah. And yep, uh, um, Inspector Li Ying has Sergeant Sang Yi, uh, who is his partner. Uh, both of these men die uh, over the course of the movie and both of their uh, deaths are intensely traumatic to the main characters. They also are like very clearly in love. Like it was sort of funny. It was like they were exes, like their ex-boyfriends and then like the, or their current boyfriends and then meeting the new, the new guy. Uh, but like, there's like a, to the point where there's a scene with Ah Jung and, and Feng Se where Feng Se, um, he betrays the organization finally. Um, he's, he's like a, an older killer, a mentor killer. Um, he he betrays the organization when the organization demands that Ajong be killed uh, and comes to meet Ajong. And then they like they like hang out in this like swanky penthouse together, this like swanky house uh, up on the ocean. And they're just like fully domestic, like walking around in like these nice suits and like lounging on this nice furniture. And it was like, wow, like, look at this. What a nice life. This look at them driving. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of that. There's also a really interesting. Sorry, I'm uh, I'm jumping all over the place, but like both of the characters, there's like a uh, um, succession of mentorship here, where like uh, Feng Se is so obviously Ajang's mentor, and then Ajang sort of becomes uh, Li Ying's ment- mentor, bringing him into the world of sort of like honor and the the razor's edge of criminality. Um, and that, that was something that, that I found really interesting and also like part of the movie's larger 
exploration of the nature of male friendship and how men learn from each other when they fall in love with each other. Hmm. Um, I yeah, I really like that about um, the movie. Uh, what were your guys' favorite parts of the romantic relationship? <sighs> it's relationships. Gotta, I mean, I already mentioned the like match cuts, but when um, it's just before uh, Li Ying manages to um, or Yi Ling, Li Ying manages to actually like encounter Ah Jung for the first time, but it's like really sensual, like almost like cigarette commercial shots through a window of Ajong at first. And he's just like slowly enjoying the cigarette, oh, yeah. holding it with the three points of his finger straight up in the air in that way that only cool people yeah. can do. Uh, and then after that scene is done, after he's killed a bunch of people, then the exact same shots happen, but with Li Ying. And they're, they're like the wooden slats that the camera passes uh, past. And as mm-hmm. they pass a wooden slat, it changes characters. So you see them both in parallel yeah. that way. What a good shot. I know that it's like it's the most in-your-face like way to show the parallels between these characters. But it works so damn well, again, yeah. because each encounter even if they're not physically looking at each other each encounter each time that they've brushed past each other has been incredibly charged like not with not with like attention that makes me want to say like oh i can't i hope that he gets away from uh li ying i hope or i hope that li ying catches him in a way that like i just want them to meet i just want to see what happens i want to see the meet cute yeah. right um well and, and li ying as he as he delves further into the world of the killer of ajong he's like fully on some will graham shit right where like yeah. there's like a part where he goes to a crime scene and like he's recreating in his head the fight scene that just happened <laughs> and then when his partner comes in he like does this cool chow young fat thing where he like slides the chair back and like points his gun which is his real gun at at the guy and makes him like fall over because that's what chow young fat had just done um yeah so like like he's clearly like that that becomes the second act of this movie is is uh lee ying like like really trying to get into the mind of the killer in order to to ostensibly to apprehend him in yeah. reality because he's falling in love with him uh yeah again this is hannibal uh, I, I guess i'm gonna let you answer the question in a sec but i guess yeah. on what question uh, uh what favorite, favorite romantic about? parts yeah um, but I, I just want to just a quick thought. Preparing. You mentioned you called um, that that those sort of like glancing blows of their of their meeting of their relationship, uh, like what becomes the second act. Like, can we, for all intents and purposes, call the first act of this like getting into the mind of Ajong, second act seeing somebody else like observing the mind of Ajong, and then realizing in the third act like what's actually there what like f- seeing the reality of the person rather than like building up a mythology around yeah, and realizing his like code his... yeah and seeing like this guy's not happy like he's not a bad person he's not he, like he's somebody that i want to be and be with right right that's that's how i it's, it's interesting in right because like i think and maybe this is oh i'm sorry do you want to answer the question about favorite romance? go ahead sorry um <laughs> this this movie is actually kind of awkwardly paced it just like works so well that you yeah. don't see it but it's kind of like at least two movies right where like the first the first 10 minutes is so truncated and it is also the entire arc of chow yun fat's character where the very first scene of this movie is Ajang um, murdering somebody in the piano lounge where Jenny plays and in the process blinding Jenny with the muzzle fire of his gun. Um, that sets off his killer's conscience. Um, he decides that it's his responsibility to take care of Jenny. Um, in the process of taking care of her, he, he saves her life from some goons um, and then he falls in love with her and they get together, um, which 
by the way, hmm. unconvinsing. Uh, well, that's and, and we also like that's, problematic, that's an, sir. That's an interesting, uh, not a healthy relationship. An interesting accounting foundation. of your responsibility is to like fall in love and impose yourself even more on this person. Yeah, Paris, Texas has some things to say about that. <laughs> Excuse uh, me, Paris, Texas is knocking. <laughs> um, but uh, but that is the entirety of his arc, right? Like he even says later on when they when they um explify explify explicate his uh. His arc that um, he used to think that the people he killed deserve to die. Uh, now he deserves. He believes everyone deserves to live. He learned that through his relationship with Jenny. Ostensibly, we don't really see any of that, right? No. Like, no. like it's interesting because Ajong is such a he's a post character arc character in this. He's he's a killer who used to be ruthless and now rediscovered his soul through a relationship. That's ostensibly what the first act is. That's by far the most unconvincing part of the movie, right? right. And again, I don't think that's necessarily a mistake. I think it's just really interesting that they didn't want to focus on that. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm curious. What why doesn't that affect like why doesn't it make him feel flat is it because he has other characters to like through which to develop himself i, th- I think it's because we see him through lee ying's eyes right? okay because i think in a weird sense but in a very real sense lee ying is the conventional protagonist of this movie sure he's he's the pov character he's the character who is brought into this world who learns uh who ajong is and who comes to love him uh, and is changed by it. It's almost like The Last Samurai in a weird way hmm. where uh, Tom Cruise's character is Lee Ying, where like he comes into this world to stop the samurai, but like is enamored by his warrior's code and ends up joining his Ken side. Watanabe. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, um, so I think that's why Ajong is interesting. It's kind of like how the like badass character um, in the sequel is always more interesting um, when they're not the main character, like mm. uh, um, Mad Max in Fury Road. <laughs> like the fact that he's uh, not the main character makes him a fucking badass, mm. even though he's post-character arc Dante in Devil May Cry 4. <laughs> oh, yes. Uh, the first thing everybody thinks no, of. Nobody has any character arcs in that fucking game. <laughs> hey. Game sucks. Um, hey. No, it's great. Uh, back the fuck off. Have you played that? I haven't played any of those games. Not a single one. Yeah, go through them. Not a blessed I, one. I did last year. Uh, John Woo influence was on. Oh my God, for sure. dude. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's, for sure, there's some bullet time is, stuff. Is it a gay series? Is it gay? Uh, it, it can be pretty gay. It is. I think gay? the fan base has certainly taken elements of that. And, yeah. yeah, they do that with every uh, thing. They maybe do that with certain series more, but there is uh, uh, Call of Duty. There is Cuphead uh, Mugman slash Vic. You don't need to worry about that. Could you send some of that to me? Um, I already did. Okay, good. <clears throat> it's in your Google Aren't Drive they right like now. Brothers? Hmm. Nothing. I don't Sorry. know. Canonically, Continue. they're just Dante they're just and Virgil are also brothers. Ooh. <sighs> so, uh, anyway, we're moving on. Uh, what? What else? Yeah, cut uh, all that out. Oh my god! Um, oh, this is a no. this is a fucking beautiful movie. Uh, yeah, the, it's good. The, it the, is. the print we saw. I mean, first of all, Hong Kong, like maybe like top three cities to shoot a movie in. Like, let's go, uh, right? Like, yeah, it's you've got, so pretty. You've got ports everywhere. Uh, when you need some like seaside drama, you've got uh, <laughs> seaside drama. You know, drama by the sea. <laughs> yeah, I know what he's but talking you, about. No, nowhere left to run. Crazy. Land has run out. Like, I'm just, I'm, I'm gonna no, you, drop my gun the in boat. the sea. There's a ridiculous scene where there's a boat chase, and all of a sudden oh, it, yeah. it cuts to the cop who's who's driving after the. I guess he's driving after not the bad guy. He's driving after Ajong, Ajong yeah. who's fleeing in a boat, and he just like goes around like a corner, and he's like. Where did he go? And it's like, dude, it's fucking ocean. They, they like scan a they do bit. a pretty funny thing where they like they do like three match like 
really close zooms in quick succession to like disorient you and and like that's supposed to be disorienting to like the cops too like it's supposed to depict filmically that they lost him mm-hmm. somehow but like diegetically it doesn't make any I've sense I've been on a boat for it's because not it, like hard. he just yeah. went around a corner like there was no like you can do the zoom or whatever you can but, still like, he didn't... hear his engine his yeah. motor running guys yeah uh, I mean he's caught immediately after that uh, it's true and it's um yeah uh I was talking about the pacing earlier. I mm-hmm. and like I think that the, it's interesting that the pacing reveals how this movie is actually about male friendship. Um and uh that last samurai type uh romantic relationship. Um another one of my favorite moments is when uh Feng Se is going to confront the criminal syndicate. He's like doing a he does like a cowboy bebop end run on the criminal <laughs> syndicate on behalf of we the got references, folks. Ajong. We are um, stacking this episode. Just lots of anime, as always. Um, Ajong, on Ajong's behalf, and Ajong, like, stops him, and he's like, I don't need the money. I need your friendship. It's like, oh! (laughs) Somebody in the theater was like, oh, my God, this movie. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's it's super gay, and it's super gay as a a means of of exploring earnest emotions between men, right? Which is is a thing that, uh, historically, um, Asian cinema is so much better at than American cinema. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just less afraid of it or something. I don't want to make... that. It's sort of weird to make that comparison, right? Yeah, but, yeah. like, like it's it's interesting that that this is that version. Like, we would never get a version of the killer in a, in America that, that could have such open, earnest relationships no, no, with literally. men. I mean, literally, like I said, the one that was going yeah. to be here just mere years after the original was literally too gay for Western the audiences. 1990s were a weird time yeah. for a lot of big big right, blockbuster right. filmmaking choices. I mean, yeah, I, I, I say agree. that, but uh, Point Break is the perfect I was response, gonna say, point like, break, counter sure. to that. Fast and Furious kind of, Can't, right? I was like, going to bring up Fast and Furious. Yep. I mean, that's bring up Point Break, you bring up yeah. Fast and Furious, yeah. Um, it, it, it Just like what you say about how it builds to what it becomes, um, it's fun that it makes you realize that all the tools that it had been using, like the um, two houses type storyline, the... Uh, the man finding his like his moral compass in somebody that he hurt kind of thing you come to realize that those tools while not new at all to this movie while like genre convention almost like um almost tropey are used to like in service of in the latter two-thirds of the movie in in service of building a relationship between two men like a healthy uh loving relationship between two well maybe not healthy but a loving relationship between two men um when that's not the like vibe you get from the first or, th- 30 or minutes three men or four men, right? Like, uh, right, right. Like Li or Ajong, Li Ying, or I'm sorry, wow, I'm all over the place. Uh, Feng Shui is to Ajong as uh, Sang Yi is to Li Ying, mm-hmm. and they can see that in one another. So th- there's a dimension of that about the passage of like learning from <clears throat> one to another, which is where this movie really sings for me. Um, and I, I am sorry to get sort of galaxy brained here, but like, I think the thing that makes this work really well is that this is, it's a movie about imparting that soul uh, from one man to another sort of through time and through um, em- empathy and like, like romance. Okay. Um, I'm here for that. Yeah, it's about, yeah, it's about yeah. Li, Li Ying. He, he comes to literally inherit the soul of the killer from uh, Ah Zhang. Ah Zhang imparts it to him. I mean, like kind of like a bad way, though, right? Like at the ending of the movie is very. It's sad, but yeah. it's it's also redemptive in a way, right? It's it's redemptive in the same way Johnny Utah learning Bodai's uh, like surf philosophy is sad, <laughs> but like he it this is I mean yeah. this guy uh, 
Lee Yang gunning down uh, Wong Hai at the end, is this movie's version of Johnny Utah throwing his FBI badge into the surf? Sure. Um, and in the process, regaining sort of a, a soul or coming to self-actualize as a as a person with with the same moral compass as the killer. Like, that's him fully embracing the warrior spirit or the killer spirit imparted on him by Ah Zhang. And you get the impression that Lee Ying, or I'm sorry, uh, Feng Se gave that same spirit to Ah Zhang, and Ah Zhang then passed it on to Li Ying, and so it's going to continue forward. Yeah. So there's a sense in which this this is a movie like all sort of warrior code movies about the end of something, about the end of a code. Uh, ah Zhang, in his self indulgent way, is like preoccupied by the end of things. Um, Feng Se and Ah Zhang's conversations are this this ongoing series of sort of wistful uh, drinking buddy-esque conversations about nostalgia and mm-hmm. about how their weakness is their belief in the rules and how the world is changing around them and men like them are relics of a bygone age. Um, this movie ultimately suggests that they need not be because Li Ying, through his experiences with these men, is able to carry that forward. Right. And- is, is that, I mean... It, does the earnestness of this movie maybe hide kind of a slightly uglier message in regard to the ending of it, right? Like, you're you're kind of portraying the ending of this movie as maybe a, not a good thing, right? But the that passing of this code, right, into the future, isn't that kind of ugly? Isn't yes. that supposed to be kind yes. of ugly? Yeah, that's a really good point. This code is not necessarily I mean, a great thing, No, right? like, it's, it just is. It's, it's, it's signaled as not a great... The end of Dirty Harry, pretty much, right? right? And when I see the end of Dirty Harry, I feel pretty gross. It's I've never seen Dirty Harry. Um, he, he kills the bad guy. Well, I was about to say, blood, like, it's right? signaled by the fact that, like, he does something Spoiler that's objectively against his own like moral code right his own like rules that he's following or his moral code is now a different code right, right? that's right. what i mean like, i mean i think i think that that there is a way that's an important point right which is to say that like the killer's not a good guy he's the killer right he's trying to be good he's an anti-hero and sure, it doesn't yeah. really work out for him mm-hmm. in the end he's blinded the same way jenny's blinded his he ends up dying crawling trying to find jenny on the ground jenny also because she's also blind because she her eyesight is deteriorating throughout this movie that was one of my favorite motifs of this movie is this idea that we're running out of time that it might not be enough the Mm -hmm. killer's desperately trying to atone for his sins and it might not be enough and it turns out it's not enough except that he has passed on this sort of atonement or this sort of spirit to another man well that that might not be a good thing Right. Because yeah. this code is not necessarily something we want to advocate for. Mm-hmm. It involves extrajudicial killings and it involves sort of like uh, a spirit of masculinity right. that is deeply problematic. Well, <laughs> well it, it, tu- it that touches on like another theme. I don't know if we really want to get way too deep into it, but like the theme of there being no like that everything has collateral damage, that there is no mm-hmm. like uh, uh, individual act like um that's really Ajong passes on his uh it passes on to Li Ying um and that has its own ramifications in the same way that like him just executing a job has the collateral of blinding Jenny and or like hurting that little girl on the beach or hurting the little girl yeah. every single like I shouldn't say every single there are a lot of gun gun uh, gunfights that go down with just like a bunch of bad guys dead um but like 
it is mere, it sort of, uh, it, it plays to that same idea, that same theme. You need some runions? <laughs> Apparently. Go on. Uh, it plays to that same idea of. Was there that, being... Wait, was that your stomach? Yeah. <laughs> I thought that was like an air vent that it just like, you know. <laughs> I've eaten like some oatmeal today. We were hearing like a transmission from another universe slowly being drifted in here. Now that was your stomach. <laughs> no, but like the actions of Ajong, uh, especially with regards to how he uh, interacts with um, Li Ying. Uh, have their own set of of, of um, repercussions. Like he's now affected uh, another person for the rest of his life. Like I don't think after the end of this movie, Li Ying goes back to being like a straight man cop, right? No, I think he gets arrested. Right, he becomes he goes to jail. For he the rest probably of his life, becomes probably, right. He probably becomes a career criminal yes. if he ever gets out of jail. Right. Sure. In fact, I think that that's I think that that's what the final shot of this suggests, which it, it goes back to Ajong playing harmonica. I think we could substitute in Li Ying. I'm kind of surprised they didn't. Sure. But that was what I took away is that like, oh, the the spirit of the killer continues. Like this is something that's going to happen right. again. I I love that we're reading that because I don't think that was intentional. Based again on a Wikipedia read, that shot was only subbed in because they didn't get time to shoot the scene that well, they wanted. Well, you don't need it right, to suggest exactly. that, right? Look, look, but there's a lot about this movie you gotta draw no, outside that's, of that's the intention I, That's here. what I love is like that we're taking all these parts, we're wrangling them, we're putting a net around them and saying this is probably what, like, this is what we believe about this movie. Sure. It's exactly what yeah. we're here for. To, yeah. to, um, to respond to your point about the, the nature of that code and, and what why this movie can feel triumphant, even though what what ends up happening is is sort of dark. Um, I think that I honestly think that this this movie, sort of like Point Break or sort of like Last Samurai, are saved in in its homoeroticism and what that homoeroticism sort of um, represents thematically or symbolically. We can make sort of arguments. Maybe this isn't fair of me to like. I like homoeroticism for homoeroticism's sake is enough. I tend to think it's representative of something of like a of a thematic truth or idea generally when it's used in movies like this in this case it's about expression it's about emotion and being emotive and being in touch with your soul Mm -hmm. or your emotion sort of the same way it is in point break um in in contrast to uh police carceral society in which those things are suppressed and repressed uh the idea of Li ying is a hothead who needs to be brought into the fold of the police by becoming less hot-headed um they they problematize it interestingly like aaron said by making collateral damage one of the main points of that hot-headedness is that like you you see that that society structure has sort of a point in that they're like oh you need to join with the group because when you're acting as a solo operator other people are getting hurt mm-hmm. but ultimately the idea is like this this legacy that the killer is imparting isn't just about sort of solo operation or um, self-aggrandizement. It's about or nostalgia or sort of bygone values. It's also about being in touch with the code itself, like you had said. It's mm-hmm. about like understanding who you like are as a person emotionally and committing to those emotions. Uh, and that's actually like legitimately represented by the homoeroticism, right? Like the fact that these characters can fall in love with each other is because they have these big emotions for one another. And like this is it, the uh, Li Ying's arc in this movie is coming to like be in love with Ah Zhang as a mm-hmm. means of coming back in touch with those emotions. I think that the fact that he uh, kills Wang Hoi at the end of the movie is 
sort of like, like his acceptance of that, his yes. thematic acceptance yep. of that, right? Of his having crossed the Rubicon. Like, it's too late, obviously, because Ajong is dead. Yeah. Laying in the dirt in front of this church. But he has, like, accepted and, like, moved into that new that new state right. of being, right? Well, and I don't think that this is this is a movie that holds the idea that this code it, and the perpetuation of the code is necessarily going to lead to liberation mm-hmm. on like a mass front or like like a betterment of society, right? I I think it's it's just sort of saying like for better or worse, and in our case, for better because this movie just made the argument that it's for better. These emotions are going to continue to exist. Yeah, like you exactly. are going to continue to be able to form these empath empathetic relationships and have connection to one another in this way um and my galaxy brain take is that this is what the movie is trying to do to us right Ooh. like it's trying to impart that same sort of like like feeling onto us and be like you're going to be able to continue to feel this way about movies like this <laughs> and about like each other like this we are the um, collateral and i think what it's successful right yeah. like i i have taken the killer's spirit <laughs> i'm going to start <laughs> killing people for money is what i'm saying oh hey <clears throat> How cool is it when he drops that SVS sniper rifle into the bay and after just, he kills it? Yeah. Uh, should we talk about the fighting in this movie and how silly and amazing it is? I feel like we're going to get a couple of angry Twitter comments if we don't mention how like fun this movie is to watch. Hey, bud, we are going to get no Twitter comments. <laughs> yeah. but uh, I think Benjamin Savard got angry at us for not mentioning Anabasis on our uh, yeah. Warriors episode. Warriors so. episode. Oh, yeah, man yeah we deserve it. that probably. Yeah. You know, yeah, what are you going to do? Um, We're yeah. not smart. Like, what, what is he asking of <laughs> What are his of expectations us? of me? <laughs> I, let's see. Um, favorite fight scene. I got to say, like, the one at the summer home at uh, Feng Se's yeah. summer home. Uh, where that just, house just gets torn to shreds. It's yeah. just a Basically fucking... bulldozer. Yeah, bullets. it's a gingerbread house that's just stomped on by the end of it because... Uh, like approximately 900 men all in like talking heads, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, stop making sense, white suits, just start barreling through just to be shot, just to be blown the fuck away. Uh, Amazing. I just love because that's one of the more like the end is obviously the climax and everything is on fire and everything's exploding by the end. But that is one of the more like uh, everything like nothing is holding it. Everything is built yeah. to break in that scene. I got to say, I it did not bug me that much. I'm not like a big, you know, internal consistency logic guy, when, yeah. especially when viewing mu- movies like these. I There was a little bit of hesitation at just how many bullets and how mm-hmm. much shit was just flying everywhere where I started to think like, this is, I'm, I'm suspending my disbelief here. It, it's really pushing it. It's interesting. Um, uh, this is a, this is a weird parallel to make, but this movie sort of sensibility wise uh, prefigures a lot of what I don't like in a similar way to we were talking about with codes where like, it turns out mm-hmm. that there's a lot of shit that that accompanies this sensibility that is not so good. Um, it's funny that like this movie is so obviously incredibly influential to the action cinema that followed uh, in good and bad ways. This movie, it like it commits a lot of sins of action cinema that I, I'm not crazy about. Like, like you said, there's no internal consistency with bullets. Um, you, there's no incur- internal consistency of staging or like blocking in any of these yeah. fight scenes, yeah. there's just like 300 guys. It just like does quick shots between Chow Young Fat blowing them away and them dropping dead. It, I don't know how many people were in that fight or where they were or what they were doing. Uh, it's like a you know, it's like 14 or like a um, 
eight-year-olds playing in a playground where it's just like everybody's going like do 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 right and like right. people are falling down when they feel like falling down and everybody's got unlimited ammo and it it totally works for this movie and what this yeah. movie's doing it led to a lot of bad action tropes where like right right it like chow yun fat and uh um danny lee will just be sitting in an open room and there will be like 300 guys firing down at them from every angle and they just don't get hit and they yeah. just like spin and shoot and one bullet takes out three guys and it like commando the almost. indomitability of the spirit yeah it's like a is a skinner box I, I i don't really mind it right like it kind of is just like every three seconds dropping me a pellet through it yes and then i'm eating that pellet it is interesting to compare it to i'm gonna make us another john wick comparison it is interesting to compare it to films in i don't know just entertainment in general that this clearly influenced mm-hmm. and that those movies did kind of go out of their way to keep that especially the john wick films keep that internal consistency to like a uh uh to a t right like right every well, single aspect well, I mean, of that they're is like, so deeply considered they're like sort of synthesizing the diehard school of thought like oh let's humanize the action he hero school bullets. of thought you count the bullets yeah, right, right. And, i mean like and, like john wick is, is absolutely like a reaction against this sensibility well uh, with also I, Oh, with, yeah. with using it as well, right? Yeah. Right. I think it's a more more of a synthesis than a, like is patching it's, up the it's, holes it's there. Of, it's yeah. sort of uh, uh, yeah. It's it's not like bucking every trend. No, but it's um, but it's taking like the coolness factor without the ridiculousness. Well, factor and I in meant a, a reaction to the sensibility in the sense of what this movie sort of produced, not necessarily oh, okay. this movie itself. I think yes, there is a very good point to be made that John Wick is in fact like a return to form. Right, where sure. It's like yeah. it's it's absolutely like doing Hong Kong action cinema again. Uh, I just meant like in terms of like like John Wick goes so far out of its way to make sure you know where everybody is in a yeah. fight scene yeah. and like ha- like what's happening. Yeah, and everybody's reloading. That's true. And, yeah, and it's so much better for it. Yeah. Um. This this movie does the opposite thing, which is just like uh, squibs just out the yin yeah. yang. It's it rules. Yeah. Uh, there are, and, there are then, people showing up. Just outside of windows, shooting in when and, they need to, and it's like that, like that pellet you mentioned. Every once in a while, there's just like one kill that's like so perfectly staged and beautiful. The knife in the back, the knife in the, the back, house, yeah. the like the guy who gets his like uh, uh, Ajong shoots his legs like thirty times, and then as he's falling, he blows a hole through his collarbone. We should, we should also, yeah, like they they do the ten year old in a fight scene exactly in the sense that like these are guys who like they fire one bullet or a gun by like pointing it out in front of them and then they do the other thing with Punching the other with hand. The guns they, thing. they keep firing at everybody to use all of the bullets in their clip no matter what. So like everybody yeah. in this, nobody in this movie gets shot once. You do want to say like, <laughs> hey man, a bullet, bullet travels on a pretty straight line. You don't need to push your hands forward yeah. when you're shooting it's, the gun. It's it looks gun so punches. Does look, it's gun punches, man. Pretty Good. It's the gunches. Yeah. Um, my favorite kill, like one of the most brutal ones, is is when um, I think it is Ajong is driving through the parking garage and there's a guy kind of hanging out of a window of a car and he shoots him and I think his arm just falls off. I don't think right? it was actually his, his arm, leg. but no. it looked like part of the. It looked like his arm at first. I think it was part of the car because he oh, had like a, he yeah. had like a fucking forty four magnum or something. Right? It was a yeah. gigantic gun that he's using to gun people. Do you think down it was a body part? Because if we I thought it was a body part. This, it, lo- just, it looks like an arm just spinning out of the ground. But then the guy gets out of the car and he's. It's holding Wong his Hoi. arm. I mean, like, no. it, yeah. it is the main bad guy. Yeah. Uh, I, which is unfortunate. I because assumed I also it was, thought I it, thought was, it was the dude's leg yeah, or something. I, I thought yes. we were fully well, that's on why some, like, like, fallout shit. Yeah. Like, holy shit, he <laughs> shot that guy's arm off. <laughs> I didn't mean to do that. I just had a pellet gun. <laughs> um, 
Yeah. yeah Everybody really, gets shot in the collarbone. It's brutal, man. Yeah. It really it's it's really mean. And that's like the moments that ground it it that it's action in it, like it's it's not Wuxia filmmaking. It's not like high uh I guess it's not incredibly vertical. It's not like high flying. It's just ridiculous throughout. Like that somebody can walk through a haze of bullets in a white suit and only get dirt on him. Um and then moments like that are like, okay, that, that was, that was the real shit. That's the, on the, like boots on the ground shit. Next one, please. Like another 10 minutes of this. And then the next one, please. Well, you- punctuated by, or, or broken up by, um, just a really sad, soulful, uh, meditations <laughs> yeah. on the end of things and, and of, uh, just my some, killer's lifestyle catching up with me. Somebody and then, sort of grok squatting in the corner, smoking a cigarette. Like, yeah, what, exactly. what am I? <laughs> Man, what a good movie. It's, it's a, a good really movie. good movie. I'm looking forward to catching the rest of Wu's films, or at least as many as I can see the trial on. Uh, we should bring up that uh, Li Ying and Ah Zhang have nicknames for each other that started in oh, the yeah. scene in Jenny's apartment. Um, in the translation we saw, um, Li Ying calls Ah Zhang Mickey Mouse and Ah Zhang calls him Dumbo. Uh, that was They were pretending to be childhood friends. I think in the, the originals, it's translations that translate to like shrimp head or butt head and uh, <laughs> abi or numbnuts, which is even funnier. I wish that that would have been the ones. Those are but so much better. That, those nicknames transform and become terms of endearment by the end of the movie uh, and like symbolize their legitimate friendship as opposed to their pretend friendship. It's mm-hmm. really good. That's a really good bit. Um, I liked it. You didn't feel quite as strongly about it, right? Uh, yeah, it's not my favorite. Yeah. I, I get it. It's is endearing. It, it's is silly. It, is yeah. it the trope that you don't like, or was it the names that you don't like? Uh, the names, I, 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 man, I hate reading like a faux. You can tell that some American guy thought this would work better for American audiences. Yeah. Like, I love the concept of localization. This didn't feel like great localization. Oh yeah, they did the thing that it's my least favorite shit in the world. It's like actually low key racist. Um, and I think modern localization has done away with this to its credit. But like, they call Ajong Jeff throughout this movie. Yeah. Uh, it's like they, how Jackie is. Yeah. Is, yes, they right. change his name. Yeah, they yes. call Kakwai Kevin in the uh, police story movies. It's just like, that's just a fucking dude's name. Yeah. Like, you had to rename the person. Yeah. I, yes. Anyway, Kevin yeah, Jan. that sucks. No it sucks he when they do that. Bro. Should we talk uh, about... Uh, we should, uh, I was going to say real quick while we're... I was gonna I was gonna share the the John Woo films at the Trilon. Is that more of an end of episode kind of thing, or should uh, I do that now? Hit it. Sure. Uh, so if you We're are hearing some this of these, right? on the yeah. day that it's released, uh, you can go see the final showings of the Killer, and you can say, "Ah, very topical." I just listened to a podcast, or you yeah. can go see it and then pause it right now at this point in the episode. Go see it and then come back and and hear the end of the episode. Uh, they're also playing Hard Target. They're playing Face Off. Fuck yeah. They're playing Hard Boiled. Another fuck yeah. Uh, and a Better Tomorrow. So that's yeah, that, what that's uh, five John Woo films on in February. Beautiful. Congratulations to Chow Yun Fat for winning our 2020 King of the Trilon uh, <laughs> award. Yeah, I mean, for the 2020 Golden. Yeah, Bears. he's good and hard boiled. Man, he fucking he writes the book on cool in this movie. Like when he's in that fucking white suit, I'm like, oh god, nobody's ever looked that. Always good. dressing the in outfits pastels. are ridiculous because because. Ajong and Li Ying are always at every single point in this movie wearing opposite colors. Like Ajong will be wearing like a white suit and then Ajong will be wearing like a dark, like striped button up shirt. And it's like, they're different, but they, they're the same. If yeah. You think about it. And they're always the most like zoot suit looking. And then motherfucking... as the film goes on, they reverse colors. So as Li Ying starts to get into a bit of the, uh, fascist uh, police mindset. He starts wearing darker colors. He starts wearing the darker suit. It's like, oh, he's man. He's changed. This movie fucking. This rules. movie rocks. Yeah, I think that that the whole like like homoerotic enemies becoming 
friends becoming lovers is just like maybe my favorite plot thing. <laughs> I just love that shit. And I love when it's like put into the least what you might think is the least compatible format. Like cop and robber, like it's it's like it's like I'm probably going to make a joke, a, a joke tweet about this, so I'm not going to reveal it. No, you have to reveal it. It's too late. There's, there's a, ske- a sketch on the Eric Andre show where he has a guy in a cop's uniform chase him into like a, 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 like a deli or whatever and just throw him up against the counter and handcuff him. And he's like, okay, man, okay. And he turns around and they just start making out in the most <laughs> yeah, passionate that. way. That's, that's the killer. That's the killer. 1989. Uh, uh, anything else before we get to a special Cody's. segment? Of Cody's notes. Well, I have some random stuff, but that, we can do that. Can we Cody's can we do Aaron's notes first? Do you want to do Aaron's notes? I mean, I was gonna take Harry, the one that Harry shared earlier. Uh, Harry's Sherry's Wu-Tang Clan uh, uh, connection here. Oh yeah, please. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. Only built for Cuban links, which is a, a Wu Tang, uh, I guess, affiliated album. It's a Raekwon album. Uh, uses a lot of uh, samples from this film. Uh, the main kind of soundtrack, which I've heard that album a lot. I like that album. I had never, even while watching the movie, did not put together that song is from this film. Hmm. Uh, but there's a lot of like vocal clips. The probably the the best song on the album is called In- "Incarcerated Scarfaces" and has a I don't know 30 second intro. It's the yeah, scene where um, it's the scene where uh, Lee Yang is talking about uh, this killer. He's He's a murderer. He's horrible, but he has not He has a code to him. He has a, an empathy to him, uh, and it's like at the beginning of the song. It's, it's quite good, uh, and there's just various vocal clips all around that album. Um, also, I think Wu-Tang Clan inspired a lot, obviously, by a lot of different martial arts and action movies. Have we never talked about the Wu-Tang Clan before? We, I, we must Did have. Did we do the yeah. Chamber? No, we no, didn't we do an episode on that no. before. That would have been great, I'm though, sure we talked course. about them on, yeah, uh... Man, thirty six. Probably police we've story about or something. How good that movie is. Yeah, before. maybe one of the Bruce Lee movies. We've yeah, we definitely maybe. brought him up. Um, anyway. But yeah, they, they have a uh, not very good album called "A Better Tomorrow," and I'm like, I wonder if that was the reference to the John Woo film of the same name. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's what I got. Two and two. That's the Wu Tang minute. Aaron's share. That's the new. We should do that every episode. If, uh, we'll we'll probably talk rules. about more John Woo movies, and then we'll probably <laughs> oh, uh, reference them. John Woo was moved by. Uh, RZA sampling him and um, didn't ask for compensation or like they reached out to him and was like I don't nice. need any I, probably not but do you think John Woo was just like a big Wu-Tang Clan oh, fan oh yeah was like, Fuck yeah, more dude. like John Woo 30, 36 Chambers that's my shit dude if you get to Iron say Man, that I get to album. say full frontal Wu to D <laughs> Jesus uh, are we doing Cody's Noties I think we're gonna do Cody's Noties Cody quit ditched us uh, uh, and so whoa. he's not here uh, Cody's Noties start out with Dragon Boat Festival can I, should I read this verbatim or should we yeah, just do it? It's My man sent us a He's long a fucking page it's, it's a page here. of copy. Some... It'll, take, it'll take a couple minutes. Don't worry. Let's hit it. It sucks if, you edit it out. If the killer is at all accurately reflective of what Dragon Boat Festivals entail, then holy shit, do they look awesome. In my classically am- amateurish way, I did some reading on Wikipedia and then he put the actual <laughs> URL. Uh, and it's was... uh, HTTPS do you need anything? colon I'm gonna go get some more coffee slash slash this. en. Uh, period W I K I P E D I A period O R G backslash wiki W I K I backslash dragon boat festival that's D R A G O N underscore B O A T underscore F E S T I V L A L A L. Hey, I'm gonna go get some coffee while you guys are reading this. Do you need anything, Harry? No, I'm good. Jason, you need anything? I'm good. Okay, I'll be back in a minute. And was intrigued to learn that many of the different theories surrounding the festival's origin through history, 
Another URL. I'm not going to read that one. Stem from stories of death with a few specific instances of the river claiming lives through incidents of drowning. Through, uh, during the film's festival sequence in which... Um, that's where Tony is killed, right? Yeah, Tony it's, Wang? it's at the end of the first act where um, Ajong is killing his final target in order to pay for Jenny's coroner's surgery. One last job. One, one last, last job. job. Now uh, that he's regained his soul, but he wants to do one last job in order to uh, save Jenny. Little did he know he's never getting that soul back. Can't get out. It's downriver. Um, Ajong- Easy to pick up, hard to put down. Sorry, go ahead. During the festivals, uh, the film's festival sequence, Ajong guns down his target from afar within the festival's river. A manifestation of the river's wrath, a literal force of nature claiming another life. Holy crap. Cody's noties. This next part is perhaps more of a stretch, but one of the origin theories listed describes, quote, unquote, the memory of the young girl, Kao Yi, who lived from 130 to 144 AD. Kao Yi's father, Kao Xu, who was a shaman who presided over local ceremonies at Shang Yu. Uh, In 143, he... while presiding over a ceremony commemorating Wu Zhizhu during the Dragon Boat Festival, Kao Chu uh, accidentally fell into the Shun River. Kao Yi, in an act of filial piety, decided to I'm sorry. Decided to find her father in the river, searching for three days, trying to find him. After after five days, she and her father were both found dead in the river from drowning. Jesus Christ. Eight years later, in 151, a temple was built in Shangyu dedicated to the memory of Kao Yi and her sacrifice for filial piety. That phrase again. uh, The Shun River was named in the Kao Yi River in her honor. There is admittedly a noticeable age gap between the 14-year-old in this story and the young girl Ajong finds upon concluding his river chase, but both do end up without parental guidance. Seriously, in the movie, where the where in the movie, where are that kid's parents? Did they get gunned down? Is this a Wu? This is a Wu joint. Are her parents a couple of doves? Oof, really great stuff, Cody. <laughs> interesting though that it uh, that it interesting though is that is in that the in the film's case, case the mighty river Ajong giveth rather than taketh away. <laughs> he's <laughs> able to bring to her bring her to a hospital in time for medical personnel to save her life. A life giver and a nice river. It's the way that that the killer finding his soul is redeeming history through time. Uh, and ultimately will create a better version of man. I choose to believe all of this. Uh, Cody also has a, a note about wait until dark. Uh, for more antics framed around the difficulties and quote-unquote humor, I guess, of having limited or no eyesight, I recommend the film Wait Until Dark. I This is editor's note, Jason's note. I do too. I lent it to Cody a couple of weeks back. It's really good. Like some. <laughs> um, yeah, he learned everything I know he knows from me. Disclaimer, it's a slow burn drama thriller starring Audrey Hepburn, which is a description, description that checks a lot of boxes for me regardless. But I borrowed a Blu-ray of it from Jason once. Oh, Shout yeah. out to Jason. And yeah, really liked kind it. Of bad about Hell that. yeah. Uh, should we do recommendations of our own? Um, my yes, I, I'll start because I only have one. Thank uh, you, Cody, for Cody's noties. Thank you for Cody's noties. Uh, my, well, I guess I have two. <sighs> I have um, uh, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Very much that vibe. Uh, so somewhat less homoerotic, but you can read a lot into it if you like. Uh, and then um, yes, Jason did just in fact say that. Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid is less homoerotic than The Killer. It's less That gay. should tell you a lot about The Killer. That sh- <laughs> they toned it down yeah. for uh, for this one. Um, and then uh, John Wick. Um, there's some fun play at that. But You're going to recommend are... John Wick? I'm going to recommend all three fucking John Wicks. I think John we've Wicks. talked about John Wick more on this podcast than any other movie. <laughs> uh, I think John Wick is maybe the most referenced that movie Cowboy that Bebop. we've <laughs> talked about. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Harry, you're right. You're going. Sure, I'll do mine. Um, Takashi Miike made First Love uh, in 2019. That's one of my favorite movies of 2019. It fucking rules. Uh, It's like another 
like pulp as enhancement of themes. Uh, it's made me very emotional, like legitimately. I really, really like that movie. Uh, it's great. Um, Yakuza Zero is a game that everybody who likes video games should play. Uh, Point Break, obviously, I think. Um, I think uh, Jean-Pierre Melville's movies um, were cited as an influence by John Woo himself on this movie. Um, Les Samurai in particular. I would add The Red Circle, Les Circle Rouge, um, which is which is about criminals who sort of have like a camaraderie, companionship with one another as a result of their um, shared profession. Um, the Fast and Furious series, uh, kind of. Um, it's similarly about uh, brotherly love. Um, if you don't kill the win... What do you kill for? And then uh, sort of a, a weird one, because it's another Yakuza movie. Um, I really like the movie Battles Without Honor or Humanity. Um, I think it's from 1971. It's the first in the Yakuza Papers um, series. Uh, that's a really good movie. It's dissimilar from this one in that it's a lot more pared down, but it also centers on some um, male companionship and male uh, love. Um, so that's a good one. That's what I got. Any movies you recommend uh, or media you'd recommend consuming? I mean, it's super. This is some normie shit. But yeah, Heat, Michael Mann's Heat. Uh, go listen to Only Built for Cuban Links. It's the best Wu Tang album. If somebody tells you Liquid Swords is the best Wu Tang album, they're wrong. Wait, are you saying Wu Tang produced or like including the Wu Tang Clan's albums? All of the Wu Tang's Clan's albums. Uh, only Built for Cuban Links. Okay, you want to? Okay, here's here you go. You got. Uh, only built for Cuban links. That's probably number one. Maybe Supreme Clientele. Thirty six chambers is not as good as those albums. Bullshit. But it is Bullshit. historically as a as an Go artifact. Thirty six chambers. It's great. It's great. It's just you know, it, when I, Liquid Swords Legends. is great. It's a cla- They got like Liquid they have Swords like is also ten classics. Good. I'm just saying, Liquid Swords is the meme. I don't want to listen to you Joe anymore. Biden tweet about like oh, Liquid Swords. Whenever somebody says that, they're memeing. They suck. Uh, yeah. I thought of I another like Iron one. Man too, actually. Station Suzuki's to Tokyo Drifter, uh, one of my favorite movies. You leaned over and mentioned and like yeah. referenced that one during I think the movie. That there, there's like a weird amount of Station Suzuki in John Woo's movies uh, For sure. in a really interesting way. It might have something to do with the fact that this film print was stained red, uh, and so it kind of looked like a Station Suzuki joint. How much of that do we know was not intentional? I think it was a lot of it was unintentional. Really? Also, I think it was becoming more red over time. Which is really cool, and I really like that because it's kind of like Jenny's eyesight fading as um, as, as the characters descend into violence. This there, film also, yeah, or, into or passion. Love. Sometimes hey, red passion. Bud. Full frontal woodity. Um, it, it should be mentioned real quick that this we were told this this print is supposedly one that John Woo is going to watch. Yeah, he's, soon. apparently he's going to screen it privately in a um, month, right? Yeah, in, in in some short amount of time. Uh, we were talking with John Moret, a uh, film programmer at the Trilon, about Who? it. John the Moret, what? John Moret, film program at the Trilon What's before the before the movie started, um, and uh, it comes from a private collector in Portland, uh, is sourcing and and uh, and uh, what's what's the term uh, procurement, um, uh, and it's going to end up in John in front of John Woo's eyes, which is fucking nuts to think about. How wild is that to be a private collector and then the director requests to watch your shit? Thirty one years dude. later, he's like, hey. Can I watch your movie? I feel privileged that I get to watch the print that John Woo will watch. No. God. Uh, I thought of another influence. I think there's a lot of Sergio Leone in this movie, uh, the spaghetti westerns. You're not um, wrong. Yeah. No, Martin Scorsese, too. Yeah. Obviously, the way he shoots church scenes, and I, th- I think it's, yeah, I don't think it, it, it doesn't come off very Scorsese-like because no. it's so interested in the action, mm-hmm. but I think in a lot of the maybe more dramatic moments, it's there. 
thematically, maybe. Excellent. Uh, it's a great movie. Yep, uh, good I'm movie. a huge fan of this movie. Go you should check it. it out. Yeah, if you are listening to this, if you're a weirdo listening to this, the minute it came out, uh, you can go listen to it. Uh, you can go watch it at the trial. At the trial tonight or... at seven and nine, I think. Hey. If you want to go to that, it's wild. It's the first time we've ever done that. We're yeah, usually months behind or something. We're on time, thanks to John Moret. Uh, Thank you very much for listening to Try Love. Um, this has been an episode about John Woo's The Killer. Uh, look forward to at least a few more in this series we'll be trying to do. Um, th- uh, 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 you can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can follow the Trilon at Trilon Cinema. My name is Jason, uh, and go. Oh, uh, my name is Aaron. If you are listening to this when it comes out, uh, now, if you, I was going to say, if you live in Iowa, go vote in the primary, but it's, it'll be over. Will it's it be over? the day before. Yeah, it's mm. the, the third, which is Monday. So. Missed it. I hope you fucking voted. Hey, we're recording this on Hot, Hot Boys for Bernie Day. Um, That's true. Vote we, for Bernie Sanders. We are politically unaffiliated, but also that. <laughs> Fuck it. Yeah. Uh, vote for Bernie I'm Sanders. Harry Mack, and you can find me at Chitake Harry. Vote for Bernie Sanders. No one listens this far in Nobody the episode anyway. It's fine. Yeah, we got him.